tuned into Geek Elite Radio. Good luck. The future comes, and now my watch begins. It shall not end until my death. I shall miss no game, withhold no news, report all rumors. I shall wear no jerseys and plead allegiance to no side. I shall live and die on my webpage. I am the word in the darkness. I am the watcher of the TV. I am the megaphone that informs the realms of geek. I pledge my hands and name to the geek's watch. For the geeks and all the geeks to come. Welcome back for another shift on the Geeks Watch. We're here talking Westworld Season 2 once again. This week is Episode 6 called Face Space. John's going to be here to tell you all about what Face Space actually means in quantum physics. But when we get there... I'll do my best. Okay. Uh, first thing we want to do is we want to talk about some um, geek news. We're going to talk about a little bit of geek news. We're going to talk a little bit about Solo, a Star Wars story, and then we'll get into Westworld. Because we know we have John here. John's a, my walking, talking Star Wars Wikipedia. So might as well uh, use it because I have, I have issues. I have issues with Solo. Yeah. Sounds like a lot of people do, though. So Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's divisive, uh, to say the least. All right. Uh, but first thing we want to talk about, we'll talk about some geek news. John, what's the first story you wanted to bring up? Jamie Foxx. Jamie Foxx in the news this week uh, for a very big reason yes he is going to be our new spawn so yes he's gonna be playing al simmons in the new spawn written and directed by the creator of spawn todd mcfarland now the story that's going around is that since 2013 jamie fox has been very much wanting to play this role like he is campaigned for himself talked to todd mcfarland repeatedly uh he has really wanted to play this character why? I don't know. I guess he just does, but Well he got the superhero bug after Electro didn't I... really ignite his Was that t- when was that? That was that wasn't two thousand thirteen, was it? That was like two thousand fifteen. It would have been fourteen actually. Mm, maybe. Yeah. But maybe that maybe that is what it is, but he's really wanted to play it. I what I find the funniest about this story and honestly, I will believe this Bond movie is being made when I actually see the first trailer for it. And even then, as we see with uh, Fox's New Mutants, that might not even be a guarantee. (laughs) So, uh, but uh, what I've heard about this movie is that Spawn in the movie will not even be the main character. He's going to be more like Jaws. He's going to be... Uh, something that doesn't show up till halfway through the movie, and uh, it's going to be more of like a boogeyman kind of character. The story is actually going to follow around uh, a detective. Now, whether or not that's going to be uh, Sam and Twitch, I think that's what their names are, uh, the two detectives that are usually in the background of Spawn stories, and they actually now have their own comic book, I believe, or at one point they did. Like, it's 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 unknown if that's who they but it's going to be this detective that is investigating the stories of this creature that attacks bad guys kind of thing 
That sounds you, awful. It does. It really <laughs> does. I mean, I know there's a huge like fan following of, of Spawn, and to me, Spawn is one of those 90s creations that's just deserves to stay in the 90s. Like, it's just all darkness and chains and, and hell and asymmetrical character design yeah exactly so i don't know if it happens i'll I'll be there i'll be in the theater to watch it i just don't know if it's going to be anything good or at least i have really low expectations it sounds to me what it reeks of is low budget well i mean they are partnering up with blumhouse who is um notorious for low budgets and i don't know i mean i'm i'm not so i mean i'm not upset with low budgets as long as it's not a b movie like i don't want a like like what a quiet place is a low budget movie and it came out great get out is a low budget movie and it came out great but i don't want something that's like i don't know pacific rim 2 <laughs> uprising like that wasn't even <laughs> low budget but it just looked terrible I mean, but it just sounds like it, it reminds me a little bit of Suicide Squad and the fact that they included Batman in like three scenes. And I'm like, well, that's it's way more interesting than what we're actually being made to watch. <laughs> it's like, why can't we get more of that instead? You know what? Uh, when when I think of low budget, I think of like, have you seen those um, Avengers Grimm's movies? Like, it's all the fairy tale uh, characters coming together to fight a an evil. Uh, they even had a Suicide Squad um, ripoff that was, uh, it was like Grim Squad or something like that. I forget what it was called, but it was, yeah, it was pretty bad. Those are those are bad. You know what's funny? I think, um, what was I watching recently? I saw a clip of like the porn parody for Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> and I was surprised that they actually, they had a budget for it. Oh, like, wow. They actually replicated uh, Peter Quill's uh disappearing mask effect really quite faithfully Ooh. or they might have just like superimposed it from the actual movie Maybe. i'm not sure if they did that but i'm like wow if they actually did that like that's kind of interesting like <laughs> this really you know well, porn's moving up in the world hey i mean that usually porn is the thing that that pushes the the medium forward i mean it's it's weird to admit but it's true so yeah. uh there you go it's the necessities the mother of invention there you go <laughs> Uh, all right, we're talking about some casting. Let's talk about uh, the Batman movie. Either so you got Justin Kroll, who uh, is a person on the internet. I don't know. I don't know exactly who he works for or what, but he usually gets inside scoops on these uh, comic book movies and stuff. He tweeted out earlier this week. He said, "Take this with a grain of salt, as things are constantly changing in the DCEU." But I'm hearing that Penguin. Uh, or that or I'm hearing the penguin is possibly the choice uh, to play the main villain in the Batman sources add even if Reeves decides to go another route the studio could then uh, make him the main villain in birds of prey uh, so that that came out earlier this week and and it's just a rumor at this point but what do you think I mean you got Matt Reeves the Batman and then you have uh, birds of prey who I don't even know if they have a director for that yet but uh the idea that the penguin could once again be the main villain in one of these movies. What, how do you feel about that? So here's my thing with the penguin. My first exposure to the penguin was the goofy man played by, was it Meredith Burgess? Meredith Burgess. Yeah. In the Batman 66. In the uh, 66 uh, series. Yeah. 
And so, I mean, I always imagined the penguin was like that wah, wah guy, you know, with the the long cigar, cigar well, he's closer pipe. To, and in the comic book, that he's closer to that than he is what we got in Batman Returns. In Batman Returns with Danny DeVito being the freak mutant right, because guy. Tim Burton really only knows how to tell one story, so yeah. he just told Edward Scissorhands. And then more recently, we have uh, the penguin in um, Gotham. Right. Which I'll admit I was never really interested in the show and I only watch maybe like the summary videos that they post on YouTube that have to do with Jerome or his brother or whatever because I find that part of it more interesting. So essentially the penguin is like what like a eccentric flamboyant gangster with a weight problem or kind of a freakish loner outcast that I mean, okay. happens to wear tuxedos. I mean, so, what's his deal? So the way the, the the latter, the one the the loner outcast, that's kind of how they depict him in Gotham. Which I think I find interesting that Gotham. You can tell in the first season they really wanted Robin Lloyd Taylor as the Penguin to be this breakout character and be kind of the central bad guy for that show. But as the show progressed and people kind of lost interest and they decided to go in different directions and they went really fucking different. The, you know, the whole Jerome, Jeremiah, Joker thing kind of became predominant. So he, the Penguin in that show really takes a backseat. Um, I would say, to me, the Penguin in Batman comics and the, the way that I read Batman comics and the way I see him now, he is a gangster. He is the kingpin. He is the kingpin of Gotham. He's uh, the head of undercrime. He even, he has a, um, he has a... Uh, 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 legitimate business in his nightclubs, but he, but anything, anything that happens on in the criminal underworld has to go through him, and he has a affiliation with penguins because he loved birds as a children as a child, um, but he doesn't have uh, flipper hands or eats fish or anything like that. He just happens to be eccentric and rich and. Uh, 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 a crime boss like it's nothing so uh, horrific as what we saw in Batman Returns so his penguin moniker is uh, I mean I get that you know gangsters and mafiosos have to have some kind of interesting sounding name right so is it because he likes to you know feed them to the fishes or like what would be the <laughs> why it is i would assume that it was more of a uh, because of his overweight problem and his short stature that he uh he kind of re- represented or not represented but uh resembled a penguin and he you know people would call him that as he was rising up in the in the um the ranks but he eventually just embraced it because that's who he was and he liked penguins anyways I guess he's a big fan of happy feet uh yeah i mean like it, <laughs> yeah because of all these different versions i mean why not do the penguin again i mean he could be due for so basically he's like uh falcone but see and that's that's where my problem is is that matt reeves has talked in the past that he wants his movie to be a detective story and if you go with the penguin that's all crime boss stuff which is not really detective that's that's more of i'm fighting mob bosses which we've already seen that happen in the nolan trilogy like I want the Riddler. I want uh, Rachel Ghoul. I want, um, I don't know who else could be something to represent uh, 
mystery and stuff, you know. Other- Zaz, maybe? Zaz, yeah, that wouldn't be bad. You know, that, that'd be good. Killer Croc could kind of do it, too. But uh, I just, I, I want that detective story that I've been promised in Batman, like, forever. <laughs> so, I don't know. It, it, if it happens, if it happens, it doesn't. Like, I, I could actually, I would see the bing- the penguin being in Birds of Prey. I think that would be great. Well, yeah, keeping with the bird theme. <laughs> yes, yeah, so that too. That'd be yeah. That'd, that'd be appropriate. They'd have to have a joke in there somewhere saying, "Well, it looks like this bird can't fly." <laughs> oh God! So, in the three names that I've heard come out in rooming cast or casting rumors uh, for the penguin at this point um, is uh, Josh Gad, um, Andy Circus. And then I guess online or on Twitter, someone asked Nick Frost, like how he would, if he would be interested in, it, and he said, "Yeah, sure, let's do it," like kind of thing. So, hmm. how do you feel about those three names? <laughs> well, each one would bring a very different element. To very it. much so. Um, Could you see the penguin like doing a song and dance number, like? If Josh Gad got it, that'd be fucking hilarious. Yeah, actually, like maybe that could be part of his shtick. He just like performs, you know, for fun at his one of his clubs, and don't do that. He's just <laughs> <laughs> don't do that. Don't put that out in the world. He could be like, uh, you know, he wants to know what summertime feels like, or whatever uh. that song is in Frozen. <laughs> uh. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the, I think the Andy Circus. I mean, I love all three of those those ideas, but I think the Andy Circus one could be really interesting. Like, especially after what we saw in uh, Black Panther, as he played, you know, Claw. Like, that would be fucking interesting. Yeah, and like we said, nobody's worth anything in Hollywood unless they played at least two different comic book characters. So it's <laughs> it's about time he got his his due. There you go. I mean, he's already played how many apes and Gollum and <laughs> all yeah, this other and. Uh... King Kong and, and King Kong. That's right. So, uh, all right. What was the the next storyline? Did you or, or did you have any ideas? Like, did you have any casting that you would like to see as the Penguin? Not for the Penguin. I mean, honestly, like I said, I have so little real investment in that particular character because there's no consistency in my experience with them. That whatever they throw at me, I I'd give it a fair shot. Like, yeah, sure, whatever. That's nope. the Penguin now. <laughs> okay. But, um, yeah, I'm actually more interested in what we're going to get for Batman. Is it still up in the air if uh, Damon, or not Damon, uh, <laughs> Affleck, Affleck will he, return? You know, and I think the last rumor out there was that Ben Affleck is like, yes, I would still like to be the Batman. Or it's more of like, a, uh, sure, why not kind of thing. And it's like, I know it's just Batman and there's not, nothing we need to take too serious, but like, you kind of, if you're going to be playing the Batman, you need to take the role serious. Like, you can't just be wishy-washy, half in, half out kind of bullshit. Like, you need to be, yes, I'm the fucking Batman. Yes, I'm going to take over this role. You can't just be like, eh, I guess, whatever, kind of thing. Like, I, I, just, I don't want that as my Batman. I just want to put Affleck's head on my lap and say, who hurt you? Oh, he hurt himself. <laughs> he hurt himself. Uh, all right, what was your next story? Um, the crow will be flying no more. That's right. Uh, I don't know which studio it is. I think it's Sony, but uh, they have come to an impasse with the director and Jason Momoa. Um, I forget who the, the what the name of the director is, that but they they have like the two two of them have like left the project, uh, can you know stating creative differences with the studio. 
and the director has gone on to like release a whole bunch of like photos of makeup tests for Jason Momoa as as Eric Draven. Which, because of his body type, he looks less like uh, Eric Draven and more like Sting. He does. He looks a lot like Sting from fucking WCW. It's yeah, hilarious. I'm like this guy looks like a wrestler ready to go. Like and like and not even like a high quality wrestler. Like this is one of those lower budget ones that you know wants his shot at the big time with the title <laughs> fight. You know, but yeah, he's like the son of the Sting. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um. I, I kind of went on a, a tirade about this online, not not recently. This was a, a ways back when they were making some ex- other announcements about the movie. Don't get me wrong, I love the I love the Crow. I love Brandon Lee. I think that movie was very much uh, a movie of its time and and just belongs there, just as so does Spawn. Like it's a '90s thing, and it just needs to stay there. It's a relic. It really is because I don't feel like our heroes need to be that way anymore. But uh, you know, you see, when all these things were coming up, of oh, Jason Momoa is going to be it, and you know, you know, you had all that other actors that were in the the original movie, like oh, you don't, it's it's Brandon Lee, it's always going to be Brandon Lee. You need to leave it alone. It's like, look, the guy who created him, James Parr, Barr, James, James O'Barr, James O'Barr. He's like, look, I, I'm okay with them doing, you know, and if he's okay with it, then I'm okay with it because he created the character. He knows what's best for it, you know. I don't know. Sometimes when the people say things like that, though, I mean, James Cameron was very vocal about every Terminator sequel, and you know that that was just because there was a big paycheck behind the, it. You're right. There absolutely is a big paycheck with it, but you know what? I still enjoy every one of the sequels of, of Terminator. I don't think there's really anything wrong with them. I think people put way too much stock into uh either the crow or uh uh terminator like i loved the first terminator like i like it more than i like terminator 2 i know a lot of people love terminator 2 more but i think the first one's so much better um but it's it's a movie about time traveling robots like literally anything can happen you can't sit there and be you can't get too upset with those movies as is i don't think well, I think there's, I think part of the reason that why people hold the first two so dearly is because when James Cameron was doing them, he put a little bit of himself in them. Like as much of an asshole as he might be in real life, he when he really works on a project, you can tell that he puts like part of his soul into it. And all the rest of the movies that come afterwards, although they are entertaining and they have good effects and they yeah, have but- spectacle. They feel like they're more paint by numbers. No, you can't. You can't sit there just because. Look, whatever director made the the sequel. So Mick G. Um, uh, Did Brett Ratner do one of them? Brett Ratner um, and whoever else. Look, they put their souls into it too. You, there's a lot of people that put all they they can into whatever movies they're making. Like people don't go just. I don't think they just go out and just like, oh, look, I'm just doing the paycheck kind of thing when you're making the movie when you're the director when you're the cinematographer like that you're not just sitting there like i'm i'm just making a paycheck here like it takes a lot of time and stress to fucking make a movie you can't sit there and just i don't know maybe maybe i'm completely wrong i think i i think that's unfair to say about those sequels like it yes they aren't james cameron james cameron didn't come in and make salvation or rise of the machines or genesis but 
and yeah, he did come out and be like, you know, these are these are good sequels. You know, I I feel like they represent the movie, but but then again, what was he thinking when he was making the the second Terminator or Terminator Two? Like, was he thinking three movies ahead? Like, what 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 this means? No, I think he was just like, this is what I want for this movie. So it doesn't matter where the the rest of it goes. I mean, look at the way T two ends. It's it's definitely done. You know, I don't know. Well, if you go by the original deleted scene ending yeah but see he didn't put that movie in he didn't put that scene in he the ending that he puts in there it's it's very much i i guess she 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 kind of has the voiceover that's no that's the end of the first one i don't know no there's voiceover ending on both of them oh okay but the second one ends with a somewhat it it's a ambiguous but leaning more towards like a positive ending yeah, but Whereas, the, the like, deleted one is is really positive because she's like he's a senator now. Yeah, and he everything fights changed and like you know, Judgment Day was stopped and you know, kind of thing. Yeah, so that that's definitely put. I mean, that definitely shows that Cameron was on the road to wrapping it up and saying, okay, this this takes care of it all. Although technically, John Connor should not even exist because the paradox with the, you know, whatever. But yeah, but that's that's that all depends on what what time travel you subscribe to like what if they're creating multiple timelines now what if it's it's you know well clearly that's what genesis was addressing but i mean now we'll never finish that reboot of the sequel hey and then you also have the tv show you know fucking sarah connor chronicles which was i thought was a great show but which i don't believe is canon to the it's not which is completely stupid because and that's exactly what they do in genesis like they take parts from sarah connor chronicles into genesis like the whole jumping forward in time True. Too bad they didn't bring back. Uh, what's her name? Summer Glau. Yes. <laughs> Summer Glau in a our movie her, as a Terminator. As, as her name in the show was Cameron because of James Cameron. Ah, oh, that's right. Yeah. A clever inside joke. Look, I'm just saying, if the Crow gets remade, at this point, it's well one. You know, I think you had a quote from. Jason Momoa saying that he would love for it to happen. It just it might end up being eight years from now or some shit. Yeah, he basically said it took eight years to get this far um, in the process, and if it takes another, uh, yeah, actually, literally says I've waited eight years to play this dream role. I love you, Corin Hardy and Sony Pictures. Unfortunately, I may not have to wait. Oh, I may have to wait eight more. Not our team, but I swear I will. James O'Barr, sorry to let you down. I won't on the next. This film needs to be set free. And to the fans, sorry, I can't play anything but what this film deserves and it needs love. I'm ready when it's right. Love you, Corn. Aloha, Jay. See, that makes me really wonder what, what the fuck <laughs> was whoever whoever decided to get in the way. Like, that's that's what's the problem here. Like, I think either someone was like no 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 you're straying way too far away from the original crow or someone saying you're not you're not uh straying far enough away from the original crow and jason Moore was like no the story that we have written is is good this is the way that it should be and at that point someone you know he's just like no if you want to change it then i'm out kind of thing and and that's where i'm saying is that you have way too many people like trying to hold it to the memory of the original crow and it's like oh well now you're 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 poo-pooing all over my 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 childhood kind of thing and it's just like eh did you do you really how many do you often go back and rewatch the crow i do i watch it at least once a year 
Um, I haven't seen it in a very long time. I think the last time I saw it was when it was still available on Netflix. Mm. And it was weird, like, rewatching it after such a long time. It's like, yeah, this doesn't hold up very well. It doesn't. It really doesn't. All those fucking buckles and black and and holes in the shirts. Yeah, and, it's like, very... Uh, like Edward Scissorhands-y. Yeah, it's it's a it's a time era that doesn't exist anymore. So I don't know. I, it, that's just how I feel. I just feel like sometimes we give certain things way too much respect. Plus, not to mention the the um, the subject matter having to do with a double homicide and a rape and beating and all that. And I'm like, yeah, you really have to be in the right mood to enjoy that. Hey, so, why would you? Oh. <laughs> All right, that's a weird way of putting it, John. Uh, moving on, Zack Snyder, who we all know and love, uh, has moved is is now has now revealed what his next movie project is, and of course he revealed it on Vero, which is his main uh, social media that he releases everything on now. Apparently, like either of its behind the scenes photos for Justice League or Batman v Superman or whatever, or uh, commentary on deleted scenes or commentary on actual scenes in the movies but uh on vero he said that his next project is going to be the fountainhead written by ann rand right uh so i don't know uh it's let's see uh it's i had i had here what it says uh published in 1943 the fountainhead follows an individualistic architect named howard rourke who refuses to compromise his artistic principles in the face of the establishment in initially unsuccessful, the book would go on to develop a huge following. Uh, and it's Ayn Rand, so it's very much a political metaphor? Oh, yeah. It's, is, is um, metaphor the word I was looking for? supposed to embody, according to this that I'm reading here, the ideal man and his struggles reflect Rand's belief that individualism is superior to collectivism. So I guess it's a very anti-communist uh, message. Sure. Which I thought was, I thought she was all like for the socialism, but maybe I'm mistaken. No, I think you have it backwards. She's very anti-socialism? Yes. So she was, oh, that's right. I think she was more libertarian. Yeah. Interesting. So uh, there you go. Um, that's going to be his next work. I don't know what that entails. I know that overlook it will look, it will probably look pretty because Zack Snyder knows how to make things look pretty. And it'll have all the subtlety of a bull in a china shop. Hey, audience, modern audiences don't look for subtleties anymore. People need shit spoon-fed to them. They need it to be told to them what this means. Yeah, and that just makes us one step closer to idiocracy. Well, I mean... I mean, but if we get the bait and channel, then kinda, I'll be all for that. kind of already there. <laughs> I don't I don't know if it really has been apparent to you yet. Well, I haven't known that they make a uh, Lazy Boy with a built-in toilet yet. I'm sure it's out there. So, yeah. Once it might we not get... be mass-produced, but it's out there. <laughs> it's one of those specialty items you have to get an order for it's on etsy trust me oh yeah someone makes it and you can buy it and it'll be shipped right to your house actually i just have like a regular like plastic table with the hole cut out on the bottom see and a little uh bucket underneath yeah there you go it works it's all i can afford but it works (laughs) is there i mean is that is is Zack snyder still a director that you look forward to is or did you ever look forward 
Actually, yes. In spite of me not always liking his movies, I mean, I either really, really like his work or I just kind of like hang my head in disappointment. Um, but it's always a visual treat. I always like watching his movies. Like, I absolutely love and hate Sucker Punch with the exact same, like, fervor. Simply because it's so beautiful to watch, but so infuriating to sit through at the same time. Uh, and, I mean, the worst thing you can be is boring. I would never yes, say that, that Zack Snyder's uh, movies are true. boring. They're, they're, they're always entertaining in some way. They just don't always deliver what I think he's trying to say. Or maybe he they do, and he's just a brain damaged individual that isn't communicating like Ouch. he thinks he is. <laughs> no, I mean I actually enjoy Sucker Punch. I think it's a good movie. I think that it gets way too much uh, flack for whatever reason. Once again, it's not subtle. It's not. No. It's not a subtle movie. It's very blatant. I think the name itself is telling you that it's not subtle. <laughs> exactly, but it looks great. It, it does. It's a great looking movie. Watchmen is a great fucking movie it's a yeah. great looking movie 300 great movie look dawn I mean, of the dead one of my favorite movies absolutely correct you get to man of steel and eventually uh batman v superman which is horrible and then what we know of Zack snyder's justice league like you can see where he was trying to build a world in an arc i just think he went about it the wrong way he he saw way too much of the dc universe in a very much dark like pair of sunglasses like i don't understand well i think he even said somebody asked him in the M- uh, ma uh, ama recently um if he was planning on using elements of injustice and he says that was like almost exactly what he was going for which explains a lot but i feel like that was the wrong angle for something like this if that's true then you should have just made the movie called injustice like don't pussyfoot around it don't don't fucking be like oh well we got parts here and parts there and this is you know what we just be like okay we're making the injustice movie because everybody loves that fucking video game so let's just fucking do that no you went around and you made I this feel like you have very negative feelings toward it <laughs> i love injustice i just don't think it's my it's not my dc like i want to see kingdom come i want to see that see, that would be fantastic too but that could only work as a like some kind of really cool animated or like digital i don't know i think that i think after i think if you did you okay if you did the world right the like the way that they did the mcu starting with iron man in in 2008 you get to 2018 so 10 years down the line you you can you can do kingdom come like that could be your end point your 10 year anniversary in the DCEU or DCFU, whichever you want to call yeah, it. Yeah, but the Warner Brothers wants to make all that money now, not 10 years from now. It's, well, you know, the, you get to spend money to make money, like kind I, of thing. Yeah. You got to just trust in your, your, your filmmakers and not worry so much about fucking toys. Like, you need to just make the fucking movie and make, you know, make it so that people are actually getting their asses into the, to the seats to, to watch this shit. Can you imagine, though, like if they announce tomorrow, like, all right, we're going to scrap everything. We're going to start a new continuity now. And uh, all the movies that we currently have coming out, they'll still come out, but they're not going to lead to anything. Just to get your hopes up with Shazam or Aquaman or anything. That would suck, dude. I would feel so bad for the Wonder Woman people, the Shazam people, the Aquaman people, the people that are making Flash if that happens. Like, I would be like, 
I would be devastated. I'd be like, no, those people worked hard on that shit. I mean, at this point, if they just decided to be like, hey, we're just going to make a bunch of fucking DC movies and they're not going to be interconnected in any real way. They're just DC movies at this point. I'm like, fine, whatever. I, You're really doing yourself a disservice, but cool. And then maybe five years down the line, whichever one's made the most money, and be like, okay, now we can say we can cherry pick and be like, okay, so Wonder Woman and Shazam are going to be in this movie together, but not Flash because that movie didn't do well, you know, kind of thing. And I mean, they always have the perfect excuse for still making stuff that's unrelated or somehow find a way to pin them back together. You have Crisis of Infinite Earths and you have Flashpoint and you have all these different ways. And now with, uh, uh, what is it, New 52? Or Rebirth. Rebirth. You can even bring in, like, the other franchises as well. Like, uh, you know, you can bring in Wildcats, Watchmen. I mean, you could do any number of things with this thing now. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. So, uh, last story. Last story is uh, Solo, a Star Wars story. That's right. Uh, It's kind of limping along, uh, not really meeting expectations. Well, I mean... It's the second week in, 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 in theaters, and it won number one spot both weeks, just not really high numbers. So I think the first weekend it got around 115 domestically. About that, yeah. And then this weekend it pulled in just under 30 million. That's so, right. yeah, definitely not the numbers that Disney was probably looking for or Lucasfilm was looking for. No, and a lot of people are kind of trying to you know figure out what's going on. It doesn't have very good word of mouth. Um, a lot of people have been complaining about uh, even just the look of the movie. It was, I complained about the look of the movie. Yeah, like I had my biggest complaint, and from what I gotten from social media, from people telling me shit and then and then and um, tagging me in articles and stuff, is that you had to be in certain theaters to get the movie lit properly, shown to you properly, and apparently the theater in our small town did not have that type of equipment or whatever uh to me the movie was just so dark not like dark tone but literally dark i could not make out faces i couldn't make out uh uh in, you know um, details in anything it just all kind of seemed like dark blobs yeah even uh, scenes that were taking place in stark daylight yeah felt like they were overcast mm-hmm. yeah that was really annoying and kind of painful on the eyes I already feel like I'm getting cataracts or something. So like this just made me even more paranoid. Like, I mean, oh my we're God. in our mid thirties. We're not supposed to be having these type of problems already. <laughs> not yet. I got to take a few pills now though, but <laughs> that's a different issue. Um, I, all that being said, I, I have to say that, I mean, I thought the movie was okay. I, I didn't, I didn't hate it. I didn't, I didn't love it. I, I definitely enjoyed it more than I enjoyed the last Jedi, but I was indifferent to the last Jedi. I was completely apathetic watching the last jedi so at least this this one i was just kind of like huh oh that's good oh yeah yeah i remember that oh i'm glad they got that one in like those i mean it's all memoraries which is what the newest star wars movies are kind of all about but yeah it's just the self-referential like circle jerking of it that trying to you know it's like hey remember this one line he said in the you know a new hope well, this is where it comes from, and you have like so, a whole explanation for something that. What did you think? Of, I mean, what was your your before you talk any real spoilers? What did you think of the the movie? I want to say, out of the, the the Disney era of Star Wars, I probably like this one the most. Really? Yes. Okay. Which is surprising even to myself. 
Um, I've, the Force Awakens was interesting, and I liked many aspects about it. But I was definitely very much on the train of like, yeah, but I mean, it. I like it, but only because it's rehashing A New Hope, and it just highlights the fact that I actually like A New Hope more than this. <laughs> you know, it's it's basically like a remix of a song. You know, it's like, oh yeah, I like this, but uh, the original was still better. You know, I still like the remix, but you know what I mean. So this out of like I said the last four Disney Star Wars movies this is the one I like the most but just like you said it was basically middle of the road I didn't love it I didn't hate it it was just good enough for me to be entertained enjoy my popcorn there were references and there were sequences I actually definitely enjoyed but overall this was not a story that needed to be told uh, I felt like a lot of the stuff they revealed either wasn't really that interesting or it left a huge what the fuck <laughs> in the audience. And we'll get to some of those in the spoiler section of it. Um, but yeah, overall, it was just kind of like, okay. And when you're doing Star Wars, you shouldn't be shooting for okay. Yeah. And I just kind of feel like, I mean, the box office is definitely showing that either we're getting Star Wars fatigue or this just really missed all the marks. Uh all right, so, well, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this about it with, before we can get into spoilers. I think that one, they did a terrible job marketing this movie. Uh, I think they were it was it was dumb of them to try and hold to this uh, anniversary date of May whatever for the release date, May 25th or some shit like that. Yeah. Like I think they they had a good thing going with the whole Star Wars in December thing. Like I think that was paying off for them. So the idea that they put this one in may just because they wanted to be faithful to when a new hope came out like that was just dumb because with how much of this takes place in like snowy planets you think that a december release would have been smarter <laughs> well that that and like it's it they they waited till what february so because the super bowl was when we got our first trailer for uh, for this movie that's uh, the beginning of february and this is the end of may so three months February, March, April, May, five, yeah, four normally months. Normally, we get like a teaser at least a year out. Yeah, so that was the first time we saw anything. Now you also take into account that they had all the controversy with the, the directors and reshoots and reshooting almost a good what eighty percent of the movie and yeah. stuff like that. Um, all that stuff bogged it down. Like it, people had needed to have a way of dif- you know differentiating this between the Last Jedi and like you know the idea of what this movie is supposed to be. Uh, all right, next 10 minutes is probably going to be spoiler stuff, so skip forward if you don't want to hear spoilers on Solo. Uh, one thing I really didn't understand, or one thing I didn't agree with story-wise, is like they keep telling us that Han is this great pilot, and you don't really get to see him be a great pilot until the very end of the movie. Like I would have liked to have seen more of him being... like At the point when he joins up with the military or whatever... The Empire, you know, uh, Navy or Air Force, whatever they fucking called it. He like, joins the infantry, but yeah. He well, no, he joined. He, the the guy lets him join in with the the pilots or whatever, a pilot program, because he, he even says, "Don't you want to join infantry?" He's like, "No, I want to be a pilot." He's like, "Okay," and he puts him in with that. But eventually, the next time we see him, he's with the infantry because he says something about getting kicked out of pilot school because he didn't follow orders or some shit. Yeah, that's what it was. You're right. He puts him in the Navy, but he got uh, kicked out of there because he had a mind of his own, he said. Yeah, exactly. So it 
I would have liked the movie to have been about that part. Like, I would have liked mm-hmm. to have seen some of that. Like, essentially, Han Solo Top Gun, I guess. Uh, I don't know. But it. the next thing we see, yeah, he's he's there with Tobias Beckett. And, you know, he's, okay, well, now I'm going to be a scoundrel. Like, that's... And then the other thing with the movie is, like, all those stories you heard about Han apparently happened within the same month. Like, all that shit happened really close to each other. The Kessel Run, winning the the Millennium Falcon from uh, Lando, meeting up with Chewbacca, all that shit happened learning. really fucking close together. Yeah, learning to shoot first. Learning to shoot first, Hearing yeah. about a big job in Tatooine. Yeah. Yeah, see, that's that's one of the problems I have with this movie is that... Um, and from, the, from what I've heard, uh, Alden Elbricht, whatever... His name is Alden Ehrenreich. Yes, I can never remember that. <laughs> I probably never will. I'll never commit that to name to memory. All right. Anyway, um, so supposedly he signed on for three movies. Yeah, but so did so did uh, the girl who played Jen Erso. I can't remember her name at the moment. She she signed on for three movies. But oh really? Obviously, after Rogue One, that shit ain't happening. Unless it t- it's a movie that takes place before. The well, yeah, it's going to be a prequel to, to the this prequel. Movie. <laughs> It'll show how she ended up in that prison caravan that yeah, maybe. she got rescued from. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, well, maybe that doesn't mean anything. And with this kind of box office, it's probably likely we won't see any more movies of this nature anyway. I, I don't know. They announced Boba Fett and, and Obi-Wan. I, I could see him showing up in, in the Boba Fett movie. Like, it wouldn't make any fucking sense. But, I mean, I mean no, they, they do seem like they had some type of history when they they first meet up. Right in um, Empire. Yeah, but they. Um, I mean, all of that expanded universe canon is out the window, so we don't know exactly what their history is now, if any. I figure we would have seen something, um, you know, during their upbringing. Like maybe they were both orphans together, or oh, you wow. know, something to that effect. Yeah, like um, yeah, this movie introduces a lot of new things to the canon. Um, I don't believe in the previous history it used to be that he was an orphan raised on the streets, kind of like a Oliver Twist or whatever, you know. And then the guy naming him Solo, like, that's just yeah. so dumb. It's like, like come oh, on. no last name? All right, well, then I guess you're Solo. Well, he I'm said, like, yeah, he's like, uh, I don't have any people. He's like, oh, you don't have any people? Okay, um, alone. Oh, Solo, you're Solo, okay. It's like, what? That's so fucking contrived. It's just... <laughs> But, okay, and this is my biggest problem, and okay. I've had this conversation with you before. It's just, look, the Star Wars stories aren't very fucking, like, extravagant. They're not masterpieces. They're not written to be, like, fucking uh, stories to be told through time. I think Star Wars A New Hope caught a certain moment in time where people were captivated by such a thing and they it was something that maybe something that we needed at that moment in pop culture but these movies aren't good the, the original trilogy is not good people are just like convincing themselves that that they are good movies and every time lucas or whoever goes and makes a change to the original trilogy like the whole oh you're hurting me you're you're killing me you're killing my childhood kind of stuff it's just like come on really like it's not i mean don't get me wrong i'll be the first one to be here and be like you can't do that to superman Superman fucking flies with a red cape. You can't throw in a yellow cape. That doesn't make any fucking sense. Like, of course, that's stupid. No, why can't it be a yellow cape? But I'm gonna sit here and tell you the same thing about Star Wars. It's like, you're these move these stories aren't aren't fucking phenomenal. They're not great. You, I don't understand why so many people get up in arms over Star Wars. It's not. They're not good movies. 
Well, I mean, it's Arthurian legend. It's the whole Arthurian legend even changes though. Right. But the problem is that they did an effective job of telling that arc originally, and there's nowhere else to go. I mean, there is an expanded universe that has since been erased from the records, the Jedi archives. <laughs> Thank and, you, Mickey Mouse. And now they're basically, yeah, now, now they're starting from scratch and, and trying to fill in the blanks again. But the big mistake with the prequel trilogy is that Lucas didn't really know what to say. You know, like you can't really say Arthurian legend yet again, <laughs> but in reverse, because in this case, the main character was going to turn out to be the bad guy. Um, so he tried to improvise. He tried to he, he tried to make his own or unique legend this time around. But he still borrowed from pop culture and from history. I mean, he took the Immaculate Conception from Jesus and a whole bunch of other gods, let's be honest. But still, you know, he threw that in there. Um, but that didn't really lead to anything because ultimately it didn't really matter. And um, there is a prophecy, which we never know what that prophecy actually is. Um, and, you know, there's all these things about how he was such a great pilot and how him and Obi-Wan were really good friends. You never really see that. Like, they just kind of try to fill in the blanks here and there where, like, Anakin's like, oh, we'll try spinning. That's a good trick. But really, no, it wasn't. It was just kind of lame. That was another thing, too, that I was... Throughout the whole movie, watching Solo, I was like, "Why are so many? Why is so many of the Star Wars movies like uh, centered around someone being a great pilot? Like, it's just a thing that everybody in this this universe really wants to be. Is it because everybody's stuck somewhere and they're like, oh, being being able to fly away would just be the perfect fucking getaway? Cause, well, yeah, that was part of why Luke was called Skywalker because he wanted to fly away from his like." shitty little existence don't even get me started on all that bullshit <laughs> fucking skywalker star killer you know it's all it's dumb it's <laughs> luke skywalker it, it's his father's name but yet he's supposed to be hiding like from his father did no one think that was a good idea well i'll be the first to admit that lucas is not a good storyteller no he's not he's and <laughs> he did not plan these out as a trilogy like, he had a large backbone of a story, but it got, like, chopped up and minced and re-edited in order to make it what it became. And he always hated that. I mean, I could go on for, like, another hour about Lucas and yeah, I know. how much we've, of a hack he is. About that. But, yeah, so he basically just made up the, the movies on the fly, to be honest. Like, I kind of commend him for actually trying to have the trilogy more planned out with the prequels. Um, but we saw how that turned out because he didn't have anybody there that was more talented than him to actually steer it in the right direction. This was basically pure unfiltered Lucas, and that's the result. This is what you would have gotten in the original trilogy had he been in complete control over all the aspects of it, uh, as opposed to, you know... Lawrence Kasdan and whoever yeah, else coming having in. all the different people and editors and others that were but, okay, more go, skilled. Getting back to Solo, though, it's just... Uh, I, I, there was a lot of at towards the end. I felt like there was a lot of nods to other world or other uh, expanded universe stuff that I had no fucking clue what was going on. Uh, I don't know if Don or Crimson Dawn is a thing before this movie. I don't know if uh, Infus Nest is a thing before this movie. But they they do big reveals that are like supposed to be like, hey, look, and I'm like, I don't understand what that's supposed to mean. I don't get any of that so 
Yeah, there was a few different crime syndicates. One of the big ones was called the Black Sun. That played a big role in Shadows of the Empire. So you think that's a derivative of... Yeah, this is probably kind of one of those same naming conventions. Like, right, let's take something that's like a stellar body and then something that describes it, but like in an opposite way. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, you have a lot of that shit, basically. And then also there's the whole death of L3. And, like, I get that that you're trying to make me feel for it. Just like like I felt for when uh, K2SO dies, but, Mm. like, L3 dies. And I was like, all right, that's... It it meant nothing to me. It wasn't earned, yeah. It was not earned, no. And I like the character, surprisingly. I like how it was kind of a weird, sassy, back talking droid. That wants to liberate other droids. Like yeah, she was she was great. And also believes that Lando has like a sexual crush on her. <laughs> Which at first I was like, No, that's not true but then when she dies and he's just fucking distraught about the whole thing, I was like, Well maybe he does. Yeah, I'm like and Lando was How great. How would that work? That would be interesting. <laughs> She's like, it works. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Lando was great. Um, I don't know. I mean, there there are definitely aspects of the movie that work for me, but... Yeah, it's not a total disaster, which is I actually didn't why... think Alden was, was terrible. I thought he was great. You know what I thought about this movie, though? I really thought this movie was like... This movie was, was, was Space Indiana Jones. Like, I felt like this was an Indiana Jones movie than it was a Han movie, which I know is weird, or maybe I'm just blending well, the two it's because funny you say that Ford. Because in uh, Paul Bettany's um, office, whatever that is, that little meeting room he has, uh-huh. there are a couple of uh, Indiana Jones references in there. Oh, I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah, you have the one that's most obvious is the Crystal Skull. Oh, really? <laughs> that one is definitely very visible. In fact, I think it gets destroyed uh, during that final battle sequence. Oh. And you can also see, I believe, the uh, Shankara Stones and the Golden Idol. Oh, okay. So basically, yeah, all three. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised, as a matter of fact, if they had the Holy Grail in there, too. Um, but yeah, the, the two obvious ones were the Crystal Skull and the, um, the Golden Idol and or Shankara stones I think they're because they're kind of similar shaped it might have been one or the other uh, but I think all three of those were definitely in there well uh, I don't know is there any last last minute stuff that you want to say about it I, I just want to say I mean maybe we can get into more stuff at another time but oh yeah we I mean there's definitely a lot more we can dissect such as the sudden and out of left field reveal that Darth Maul is still alive. Yeah, very out of left field. Like, I heard there was a big reveal, and then everybody was like, oh, well, you know, they made these big announcements of Boba Fett having his own movie, so I thought that the Crimson Dawn person that she was going to be talking to was going to end up being Boba Fett, but I was like, oh, nope, that didn't end up being it. And I don't know if you noticed, but there was also some Mandalorian armor in Paul Bettany's... What was his character's name? I can't even remember it now. It doesn't matter. It it really does not matter. Yeah, she uh, or uh, and why does he have scars all over his face? Who knows? It doesn't matter. Also, like his skin tone changed; it became way more pale, like right after he died. Well, I also think that when he got angry, like those scars like flared up. Like yes, so I think that they weren't scars as much as they were markings of his race. Like if he wasn't like a human kind of race, they were face hemorrhoids. They could be face hemorrhoids. (sighs) Like that could have been a thing with flare ups every now and then. Although, actually, I. So there were a few kind of like Easter eggs that if you don't really know about like some of the previous existing canon, it would just go right over your head. Of course there's Easter eggs. It's, it's fucking one Star Wars. That, one that I really liked when Kira's wearing that one outfit that actually looks kind of cool because it's actually spacey looking where she looks kind of regal. 
Well, that's one thing I thought was weird about Kira's character. Like, every scene she's in, she has a different outfit, whereas Han is wearing the same thing out the whole fucking movie. But Oh, well, that's because for female characters, they have to do that so that they can appeal to girls because, you know, they'll have different characters that can accessorize now. Okay. They did the same thing with Padme in the prequels. Like, in every scene she's in, she's usually wearing something different. Oh. It was most noticeable in The Phantom Menace. I honestly thought that that, that Kira was going to end up being emphasized. Uh, nest in business or yeah. something empty nest or whatever whatever it is um no yeah so in that scene when um i guess like she beats up that one dude when they go to kessel yeah and uh l3 is like whoa how did you do that and she says oh i know terrace kasi that's basically a star wars world martial art and um the, the first place that ever made an appearance was in the PlayStation 1 game, Masters of Cherizkasi. And that, in the previous canon, that became an established thing. It even got mentioned in a few of the Expanded Universe books. Where it's essentially, uh, it, it means Iron Fist. So essentially it's space karate God in the Star it. Wars world. Space Kung Fu. All space right. karate, yeah. And I'm like, they made that canon. That is awesome. <laughs> so now Masters of Cherizkasi for the PS1. A game in which you can play as a Tuscan Raider named Hor or a Gamorrean guard named Thok. And you can fight against Boba Fett in Cloud City. Is now canon. Is now canon. That is awesome. Uh, all right. We went a little bit over the 10 minutes, but uh, hopefully we didn't spoil too much for you. We're going to get into um, Westworld Season 2, Episode 6 right now. Uh, phase Space. What does Phase Space mean, John? Oh my goodness. Okay, so in the quantum physics world, uh, it basically refers to a situation in which um, all possible states of a system are represented with each possible state corresponding to one unique point in the phase space. So, Schrodinger's cat, basically? (laughs) Essentially, all, all outcomes of something can exist at one time since you don't know the outcome yet. Yes, everything plays out simultaneously and like which is kind of funny because I think I, I made this comment when we were watching the episode that uh Bernard at this moment is kind of like Dr. Manhattan where he exists at all points of time exa- at one time now because the way that his character is is working this season like we don't know what is program, what is real life, where he exists He's having these weird memory jumps where he either exists in the f- in the future or he's remembering stuff from the past and he doesn't know which direction is which. And even uh, Elsie like makes a comment of that a few episodes back, saying, um, uh, "Yeah, I, I saw that in your programming. Your your dialogue doesn't know if it's forward or backwards or some shit like that." Yeah, essentially the episode where um, he discovers her and says, "Yeah, your 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 time is all messed up." Which I mean, I think is interesting, especially that the fact that she would make comment of that. Like, I mean, that only goes to to prove the theory that you've been throwing around there that you know she's part of the the construct, the program construct to simply sit there and get Bernard to move forward through uh, his I don't know virus. I, I, I know programming so that he can get to the point where he tells them who is them is the people on the outside of his programming right now what looking in to where the seed or the MacGuffin that they're looking for is 
Yeah, the the memory or the specific something that he did is information they're trying to pump from him. But he can't remember it because maybe his memory has been broken or some shit, so he has to work through it. Yeah, or, or maybe he can't remember the exact order of something that he did, so they have to keep running it. Essentially, it's kind of becoming a little bit more clear. They're doing with him what they were doing with um, Delos, James Delos in one of the previous episodes, where they keep restarting his brain, running it through a scenario, and then just watching the outcome. And if you remember with James Delos, every time they did it, they got a little bit further along, but they never could quite crack it. But they were saying, or William said, that, you know, we're very close. We almost got it, but I wonder if we should really keep this going or not. And um, so that seems to be what's going on. We're just seeing Bernard's brain just keep getting rebooted and reliving the same situation. So we're kind of constantly jumping in, kind of back and forth. Um in the same timeline but each one plays out just slightly different because each one of these is like a slight variation on all the possible outcomes that can happen so some of these might be real memories and others might just be virtual simulations and we see later in this episode that they have a way of doing just that where they could put his brain in a virtual simulation mm-hmm. and just start seeing what the outcome is. Now, you brought it up to my attention when we were watching it, the whole aspect ratio changing. Uh, we definitely get the beginning of the movie, or beginning of the movie, beginning of the episode, somewhere in the middle, then towards the end, uh, certain scenes with Bernard are seen in a more widescreen aspect ratio where letterbox uh, bars come down. Yep. Now... I assume there's a theory that comes along with this pointing pointing out the fact that for some reason they decided to change aspect ratio. Yes, this seems to indicate that for sure we are inside a simulation, so not the as, real world. As Letterboxd is usually more associated with is movies. Yeah. Uh, as you would be going to a movie to watch a, watch something, you know that you were watching something up on the screen. So... Excuse me. Maybe as this is indicating that someone is watching this simulation play out somewhere. Basically, yes. They're treating Bernard's memories as a movie, and this would be a a visual way of representing that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, As we saw in the more uh, previous episodes in the season, uh, they were sticking to more of like this. This episode is going to be this person's in story. This episode is going to be this person's story. However, this particular episode, episode six, we got to see all three main stories playing out simultaneously. We have Maeve's, Maeve and Hector's story of going to find Maeve's daughter. We have uh, Dolores and Teddy's story of going to getting to the real world, I guess is the way to put it. And then there's uh, Man in Black, uh, William's story, as now he's being, um, he's traveling with his daughter or we know is his daughter he suspects that it might be a host i don't know yeah at first he just completely like point blank is like like really ford this is what you're doing now can impersonate my daughter too and she just looks at him like are you okay (laughs) yeah because i mean as he pointed out like you know you don't like me anymore so i don't know why you would be doing what would you you why would you be here looking for me or anything like that um, she points out that no, it was you know Hale and in- invited me to go to the gala. I didn't want to go, but I ended up coming because I wanted to relax in Raj World. Um, and then she's there when all hell breaks loose, as we saw in previous episodes. Uh, 
happens to find her way or, you know, jump over that cliff so to get away from the tiger, finds her way onto Westworld, gets taken by the Indians, or I'm sorry, Native Americans, uh, then eventually meets up with her father and his group, which is very, is purely coincidental, uh, if you want to believe it to be. If anything in this fucking show can be believed to be anything, because it's all, you know, they're going to do their darndest to try and trick and fool people. Uh, you know, the first season had the, the really big twist of we were watching two separate timelines uh, as they converged into one. To do something like that in the second season where people were going to be more on their toes. I mean, it was discovered very early on in the first season, at least for people who scour the internet like we do, that uh, it was apparent what we were seeing and what the big twist was going to be. But, you know, for the more casual watcher, maybe they didn't see that coming. This season round, you know, more people are going to have their eyes on it and try and figure out what's the big twist. And to the, to me, it seems like you don't know what's real and what's not real anymore. Like you don't know what's actually playing out and what actually already happened kind of thing. Yeah. Don't trust your senses because they're purposely feeding you a bunch of bull. Yeah, exactly. Um, but as, as we saw, she's actually really good at being in Westworld. She, depicted hey those are not real arrows and your your people were about to get ambushed and she takes out a bunch a couple guys uh with her six shooter like sharpshooting wise kind of thing um she's a regular annie oakley that one yeah she's she's a she's a chip off the old block with her father even though she didn't spend a lot of time in this world as she stated i don't know that was weird i thought that was an interesting thing which I think only goes to prove that she's not his actual daughter. Why is that? Because the fact that she's good with a gun and, and like knows her way around Westworld, but yet admitted to not being in Westworld all that much. She'd rather, she used to, as a kid, she liked to spend time in Raj world. Like that just means that the, she's a host that is actually good at things. And, and Arnold programmed her to be good at things. Hmm, that would be interesting. So, uh, then, uh, going back over to Maeve's story, uh, we see the, the, con- the con- conclusion to the Shogun world story. Uh, they play out the, the Sakura Kanai, can Akane. Akane. Yeah. Akane story where essentially the Japanese version of Maeve, Akane has her daughter killed in front of her and they have to go and bury her uh ceremonially and quote unquote barrier by cutting her heart out and burning it yeah it was a very heartwarming scene oh my goodness you said it (laughs) anyways uh and then well we got to see another badass duel too we did get to see a badass duel between tanaka and masamushi musashi musashi yeah just say some random japanese sounding words and mitsuruki yeah (laughs) okay um Anyways, but yeah, we did get to see a badass duel, and that actor is pretty great. I, 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 I am blanking on his name at the moment. That's just right here. I could probably look it up. But uh, yeah, we got to see all that happening, and uh, eventually Maeve goes and meets up, gets to, gets to the area that her quote-unquote daughter is at, and she gets to meet with her, but come to find out, hey, they already replaced her with a new mommy. 
Which, I mean, who didn't see that coming? That's exactly the first thing I said, too. And you were like, yeah, that makes sense, wouldn't it? <laughs> how, could she, how could she assume that her daughter would be there by herself this whole time? I mean, like, But then again, like, it doesn't matter. She has a power. She has a like omnipotent power in this world where she can just make people do whatever she wants. Or she can make hosts do whatever she wants. So well, she wasn't making those ghost nation do whatever she wanted. I think that's more of a the, her fear factors like were flooding her so she couldn't um, uh, focus her power. It's kind of like when she was first attacked by the the ninjas. Like she had to focus before she could control the guy with her mind to fucking kill himself. Which is interesting because I figured that when she, uh, you know, back in season one when she looked at all her stats. Um, it looked like she maxed out all of her like you know badass stats, but she like reduced you know her fear, her pain, um, like all these different things that were basically weakness, like you know timidity and all this stuff. She brought way down. So the fact that she's now still be able to feel fear, like I wonder if that means that she's broken out of that system and now she's become basically an individual that's not beholden to that stat she's the one system well i mean she's closest to the one than anyone else <laughs> i mean she can make people kill themselves in really badass ways and, and she knows all languages and she can yeah she can communicate with both the uh, the ghost nation and the japanese and yeah like i don't even know where else they could go with that but i mean i guess for plot purposes you have to still give her some kind of weakness in this case she's still fearful or has the memories or as as we just stated, this could all be bullshit, and she's just playing out another storyline. Like, I mean, it's a dangerous one, but hell, who knows? Wouldn't it be funny if the end of the season we find out, like, yep, this is <laughs> this is like a real meta Westworld where there used to be a Westworld, and now this is a Westworld based on that Westworld <laughs> where things go bad, and that's the scenario for this one. Yeah, this is actually replaying a, a big event that happened where the, the robots at Westworld went crazy and started killing people. And this is a new vacation in the future that you can come and be like, hey, can you survive when Westworld went crazy? Yeah. It's so, like the so Purge would, Westworld edition. Would that be uh, the, um, the fucking writer guy? Uh, oh, Lee Sizemore? Yeah, Lee Sizemore. Is he is he the, the, the visitor in this? Is he the one that's paying for this... Uh, this uh vacation this extravagant vacation he could be he's definitely i'm sure he wouldn't be the only one maybe it's artemis maybe she's not really a robot <laughs> she's a she's a person well she has a robot hand yeah it's the future now one of the things i really enjoyed about this episode and partly one of the reasons why is because we didn't get a lot of it i feel like we ju- we got just enough is we got our brand new version of teddy Oh, we did. We did. We get a new t- new version of Teddy in the Dolores storyline. So after after we left him in the last episode, him in in Dolores, she uh she broke Teddy. <laughs> yeah. She essentially is like, hey, we need to make you better. We need to get rid of all these emotions that you seem to have. And yeah, he's pretty fucking dark and and like uh methodical. I like this version of Teddy. Oh, you you have no heart. But I I love how Dolores has this look on her face more than once of like I think I may have gone too far. Yeah, she's the she's the proverbial fucking scientist that's like, "Oh, the monster that I've created is not good." kind yeah. of thing. Like 
Like she, yeah, she's like after he shoots the dude that's on his knees, like that's about to give them information or not give them information, however you want to look at it. She's like, oh shit, okay, um, back away, you know, kind of thing. And that's definitely like I broke Teddy kind of kind of look. It's like easy there, big boy. Yeah, like he has that little bit of monologue as they're the train that they're on is going into the the tunnel like uh, he's like oh you know i don't know if i ever did want to leave before but now that you know you've changed me this is definitely where i'm supposed to be kind of kind of monologue yeah he has a very kind of um like there's a hint of resentment whenever he says anything now Mm -hmm. because he is like you fixed me i'm no longer that weak person or he's no longer like he he's speaking a little bit more in third person now yeah like that's a different person that's not me anymore yeah like he doesn't have any agency because it was taken from him and this is who he is now and he's basically just living it to his full potential i mean like he says this is the last of my mercy to the last surviving tech as they leave him locked in the the car the train car that's going to crash into um the mesa mm. he gives him a, a bullet and a gun an empty gun is that what was going on in that scene like like he was very upset about the 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 that that tech it was very like oh no you guys are I, i'm about to die i was like why I, I don't understand the car is not with the rest of the cars how is he gonna die well because it was the one that was still attached to the train no it was the one that wasn't attached to the train no, they all staped off. They disconnected. He was still... There was two train cars. There was the main engine, and then there was the, the little coal thing with all the fuel. Then there was the one they were all in, and then the second one. They all left to the second one and disconnected and left him in the front one. Yeah, but they're, the, they're on the one that's connected to the to the engine so that it can go into the tunnel. No, they're not. He how, was. How is it going to keep moving if it's not connected to the engine? Well, they're going to get off and walk the rest of the way. Obviously, they did that so that it could act as a battering ram. Oh. Okay, maybe I missed that thing. <laughs> yeah. No, they purposely disconnected. And they're, I mean, I'm assuming they're going to walk the rest of the way. It's obviously not. It's going to stop at some point. But, uh, yeah, the whole point was for them to use that as a, a way to breach the, the mesa. Hmm. Okay. Um, it's just something I missed then. Uh, yeah. So I, I don't know that what do you think that's that Teddy's going to end up being a foil in Dolores's plan here in the future? Um, I probably, I mean, like we already said in one of the timelines that's probably in the future, um, a lot of the hosts, including Teddy end up drowned, mm-hmm. but then they're all brought back to the Mesa. Mm-hmm. So they're probably going to be brought back, but, yeah, I think with this new uh, Teddy Nader, as I like to call him now, he uh, he's definitely going to have something to do with uh, maybe things going wrong. Because even though they changed his stats, so to speak, I think he still doesn't have any free will of his own. He's still essentially doing what he's being told. Now he's just being more ruthless about it. True. Uh uh, did you, is there any more that you want to talk about about Bernard and Elsie and their storyline of traveling around? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so they make it to the cradle. Um, basically, they're following the train tracks. They go into the Mesa. Um, why Dolores and her crew couldn't do the same thing, I don't know. Maybe they just wanted to make an entrance. That is a big question of mine. Like, she knows that there are tunnels and ways to get down and stuff like that because we, you know, that's where she... Yeah, she's been in them. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So why is it that they needed to take the train? I have no clue. 
so they basically um elsie and bernard make their way into the mesa they sneak around because there's still some guards patrolling the area um and they make it to the to an office i think it's one of the behavior rooms and elsie says that uh, there's some kind of virus or something some kind of program is uh blocking access to this and that and it's um like actively responding to any attempt to hack into it and so they determine the only way it's, it's coming from the cradle they, they call it the cradle room or whatever and so they said okay well we have to go there to trace the source of whatever's doing this and figure something out so they go to a room called the cradle it's actually cr4 dl, DL. Mm-hmm. Um, but i guess that's you know just what you call it and uh it's like a descent into hell it's like a basically a server farm with a bunch of eerie red lighting and even there elsie's like okay so we're in the right place but i still can't access this because i'm just not in the system i need to be so and bernard is like well jack me in i'll go into the system directly and see what's going on and he says pull me out in about an hour i also think it's interesting is that because haven't we heard the, the the word cradle before when they're talking about that thing that's inside of the host's head um not exactly this is the first time we get real reveals of the cradle um, I think they made a mention to it in one line in the previous episode. I think they said something about the cradle is offline. Mm. Um, but in the supplemental material, there was a synopsis, and I think there was also like a tweet by the actress that plays Elsie, who mentions the cradle and how it's going to be a pivotal part of uh, the storyline of, of her storyline. Uh, at that point, it hadn't been revealed yet, so I think they made her delete it. Oh. Um, but yeah, so basically the cradle is, uh, in essence, I believe what the reference to face space is, in which um, they they say very specifically that the cradle houses essentially a backup of Westworld, including all of its inhabitants. And it's like basically running a real-time simulation of Westworld at all times. And if we were to believe that face space has any significance with this... Uh, it could be what they're using because um, uh, I re- if I remember, I think we mentioned it in the last episode. There's a, a reference to the cradle and it they're show they show what looks like a diagram. And the diagram has a couple of inputs that look like the host brains. Those little uh, red velvet cupcake looking things. Right. Um, so that's a reference to potentially this being something that you can jack host minds into. Uh, cradle, of course, also being a reference to you know something that you keep a, a baby in, I suppose. Maybe a, a life. You know, you you're keeping life, but blocked in but securely. I, I, to me, it, and maybe this is because of the way the show is, it it made me think of you know where your brain is held in the cradle, kind of in the cranium, cradle kind of like kind of thing. So yeah, cranium might have been a little too on the nose. Yeah. So that's what I was gonna say is that like maybe it's just a representation inside the program of of how he's uh, you know um interpreting going into his own brain to find the answers that he needs yeah so in this case he's basically jacking into the matrix and so lo and behold he wakes up inside the cradle and it's letterbox again Mm -hmm. telling us that indeed this is a simulation now we kind of glossed over it but the episode also begins in letterbox format and it's uh bernard having a very similar or very familiar conversation with dolores Although the twist in this time around is that it turns out that Dolores is actually aware 
that this is a simulation and Bernard is not. Right. And she says, nope, that's not what you said. And Bernard's like, what? And she's like, yeah, this is another test. This is fidelity. Yeah, and we've heard this before with James Delos. When William was interviewing him, he says, this is for fidelity. So it tells us that this is an ongoing issue of trying to figure out or crack the code of consciousness with those that used to be human. Um, so yeah, nevertheless, you have Bernard waking up and he's on the train. He gets off in Sweetwater. He starts walking through the town. Everything is very eerily familiar because all the hosts are just going through their regular programming. Um, and he sees a very weird and familiar looking greyhound. He follows it into the saloon. Um, on his way there, he sees the host backups of Dolores and Teddy. And they're just kind of going through their daily routine. He walks in. He's hearing someone playing the piano. He slowly turns around and he sees that the greyhound is at the feet of the piano player. And as you scroll up, you see that it's an old man. And in the reflection of the piano, it's none other than Ford who says, hello, old friend. Yep. And then it cuts to black. And that's where we're left. And we're like, come on, man. Like, how many times are you going to tease Anthony <laughs> Hopkins and not actually show him? I was like, come on. You could afford your HBO. Come on. Give him, like, more screen time. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I, this is just over halfway mark of season two. Uh, you know, 10 episodes in the season. This is How, episode six. This is episode six. How are you feeling so far? This I, I really feel like we haven't started yet. Like, I really feel like the season is still in the first two episodes. Yeah, it's like we're, re- we're treading a lot. And that's the downside of this kind of storytelling yes. is that it feels very repetitive. Yes. But yes, it feels like not a lot's happened because we can't quite place the order of how things are happening yet. I think that's the, that's the biggest thing is that, yeah, the way the the non-linear storytelling that's going on here, we can't really assess where we're at in the story. So thus, in my mind, my brain, it's just going to say, oh, well, we're still at the beginning. We're still collecting all the evidence. We're still setting everything up kind of thing. When in actuality, this should be coming up to the the end of the second act. Yeah, we should be reaching some kind of crescendo. And uh, we should be expecting some pretty big set pieces pretty soon. I would imagine so. So I'm very curious to see where that's going to go and what's going to happen with the hosts and all that stuff. But more importantly, is this really Ford? Or is this just uh Nothing is real. Simulation? I already told you that. Everything is a simulation. This is Elon Musk world where, you know, just believes we're all just one big simulation playing out. It's none of this... None of this is going to be real. It's going to end up being uh, William and, and Hale over a chessboard, like fucking, okay, well, this is where I'm moving this. And then he's like, oh, well, you're not going to be able to take Delos away from me with that move kind of bullshit. That would be interesting. I wish we saw more chess metaphors instead of like religious Jesus ones in this <laughs> We definitely series. see a lot of religious metaphors in this show. Like right down to fucking Abernathy getting the- nailed to a fucking chair yeah. in a crucifixion depiction yeah <laughs> uh all right uh like i said we could probably go on a lot more for this episode but we're gonna cut it right there we, uh, i think we got all the sweet stuff out i think of the we way. definitely got the, the highlights and the big points if there's anything you'd like to discuss with us about this episode or a solo star wars story we'd love to hear it you can find me on twitter as at mitchipedia g-e-r john is also on twitter as i'm at magic bollocks the rest of Geek Elite Radio is at Geek Elite Radio on Twitter. 
at Geek Elite Radio on Instagram. Facebook.com forward slash Geek Elite Radio is our Facebook page. And GeekEliteRadio.com is our website. Check out archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts on the Geek Elite Radio Network. But until next time, this is the Geeks Watch on the Geek Elite Radio Network saying always remember to geek, geek out. out. We now return you to your regularly scheduled program.